The short game is listener-supported on Patreon. If you'd like to support the show and join us on our Discord, head to theshortgame.net or patreon.com slash theshortgame. back to The Short Game, a show about short video games, games that respect your time, um, or scare I am your host, <laughs> Shane Kelly, and I'm joined by my brother and bro host, Reagan Kelly. And this week we are covering Unpronounceable. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I've been debating about how I'm supposed to pronounce the title of this game, even though like, they literally say the title in the game quite a lot. Um, I'm going to stick to my, my best... Uh, pronunciation Mundan. Uh, Mundan, Mundan. Uh, is this is a, yet another example of us being extremely timely while still playing a game months after its release because this game came out uh, March 16th, 2021, um, but it just this week got a Switch port, uh, which is why it kind of bumped yeah. it back up onto my list. Yeah, I think this is a game that would be uh, pretty fun on the Switch. I, th- what this is, just to set the scene, is it's a uh, very visually striking and kind of graphically unique horror game. It is t- it takes place in a kind of a mountain village in, I believe, Romania. Oh, no, 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 um, no. This is uh, Switzerland, the Swiss Alps. Switzerland? Yeah. Swiss Alps. Okay, I'm glad, we, uh, glad you caught me there. Sorry, I was misremembering. What's the name of the language it's in? Uh, it's Romanish. So maybe you were thinking that's of that. That's what threw me. Yeah, that's what I was thinking of. Yeah, so, yeah. Really interesting little um, background detail about this is that it, it's it's set in this very tiny region in the Swiss Alps that doesn't that it speaks its own very localized dialect, Romanish, um, and the entire game is voiced in Romanish. It's a very uh, it's a very odd sound. I spent a good first half of the game until I ended up looking it up, trying to puzzle out what language was being spoken. Um, you won't get it. It's it's very unique. In, it's apparently something like 7% of the Swiss population, and how big can that be, speak this uh, this language? So it's a it's an extremely uh, regional mountain, uh, you know, dialect. And uh, I thought that was sort of interesting as sort of like, you know, how, how yeah. many video games are made in Romanish? Probably this one and no others. Yes, it is apparently the main language for about 40,000 people. Wow. So it's a... There, that's a that's, and I think that kind of a setting is is really interesting because I want to get into a, talking about the idea of folk horror, which is this is a, to me is one of the first examples of folk horror mm-hmm. I've seen in a game. Um, but I mentioned up front that this was visually striking. The thing that makes this really neat um, is it's a really strange game to look at. It combines two things that we see a lot in video games. One is kind of a low poly look with another thing you also sometimes see in games, which is kind of a sketchy uh, charcoal or pencil look. But then by putting those two together, you get this visual that that looks like kind of a living sketchbook the honestly the appearance the look of things just generally was basically the creepiest thing about this game um and and the thing that kind of made me interested in it was just looking at these screenshots and saying what what on earth could this really be yeah the really impressive thing about the art here is you know it looks very interesting but the way this look was achieved is extremely unique um the developer this was mostly a solo development work it's it's by a swiss game developer called Hidden Fields, uh, but that's basically the, the bulk of the game was done by one guy, Michael uh, Ziegler. And um, the way he achieved this art style was he'd create the 3D models in, I think, you know, he's using Unity as the engine, but, uh, you know, whatever process he used to create the 3D models without textures. And then he would sort of unfold them uh, and and print them out on paper and sketch in with actual pencils the uh, the textures. You know, for example, like maybe he wants to make a goat. Goats feature pretty heavily in this. Well, he has to 3D model a goat, then figure out, okay, well, if we were to unfold the 3D model of a goat onto paper, uh, what are you know, how, how, what that would look like? And then he got, went in and, and physically sketched in the goat's details, the fur, eyes, etc., uh, with actual pencil, and then scanned that back into the computer and made that into his uh, into his 3D textures. And it's a very unusual look at a 
distance. Like if you're looking at things like, you know, a scene as a whole, especially if you're outdoors where you get a, a nice long draw distance, um, it can look just a bit like sort of a black and white film, right? With a bit of an odd mm-hmm. look to it. But if you look closely at anything, everything is pencil sketched. Um, so you see that sort of physical grain of like pencil on paper on everything. And and even, and lots of the details have this sort of like very specific look. Uh, it's really unique. I don't think I've ever seen yeah. anything that was, I mean, I've certainly seen things that attempt to do a pencil sketch like appearance, but usually they're doing that with things like shaders on top of 3D models. And here it's literally pencil sketches scanned into a computer and, and wrapped around the 3D models. Very, very unique. It, 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 it's hard. You really do have to see this, which you know makes the medium of podcasting just the perfect way to review this game. But <laughs> um, the, the visuals of this game are just strikingly dark. Mm-hmm. Um, what you, as you walk around, one of the things that makes horror work is a feeling of sometimes being a little bit lost and disoriented. And there are lots of sequences in this game where like you're lost in, um, I had a, I had a moment in a burned out house kind of early on in the game where, you know, and we'll get into the story of the game pretty soon, but you know, there's a fair number of burned out houses, a one very important one. Um, but as you kind of go in and you're looking around, you're kind of exploring the space. And this is, you know, all charcoal textured sketches. And you, you kind of feel a little bit lost in that space. Um, and then in those moments where you're pulling out, that's a great point for it to, for the game to like pop in something scary. So uh, it, it it is pretty cool. It also uses a, some of the things that we've started to see in more and more games of these like quick cuts and things like that. Um, that in a lot of these like low poly experiences, uh, it's one of my favorite techniques, and we've talked about it a lot in in other games. But the idea of where where like you the you the player the viewer do kind of filmic style quick cuts between things, and I think that's a great t- technique for horror because you know what is the number one best tool in the horror toolbox for get making you jump is the jump scare and you know what's a jump scare if not a jump cut i guess but let's set up the actual story because here's something i wanted to talk about with horror games and i i don't want to derail talking about the story of this game too long but um you know i didn't get that far through this game you got pretty much to the end of it Mm -hmm. um i am spending more of my time on a different horror game i'm playing a lot of resident evil 8 and that has had me thinking about horror in general Um, and one of the things that's weird about horror in video games is most of the time when we talk about genre in video games, we're talking about gameplay genres, you know, shooters, you know, platformers, Metroidvania, whatever, right? Horror is a genre that is much more determined by the subject matter. And so that, that's a that's a place where it's very different from other video game genres. It's really all about the subject matter. And so when you look at what you're actually doing in horror games, that actually covers just a very broad spectrum. Sometimes they play a lot more like a shooter. Sometimes they play a lot more like an adventure game. Sometimes they play more like a survival game. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of variety. You, you can you can include some things like even the Castlevania series under the horror subgenre if you really try to. Uh, you, you think about games that uh, are definitely horror games that have play. There's very popular uh, and it's been discussed a few times on this podcast. Doki Doki Literature Club. That's a horror game that plays like a, a visual novel. The horror game genre is literally all over the map in terms of gameplay. This one plays a lot more like a first-person adventure game. I would say even like if you were to take out the, there are monsters in this game. We uh, we will discuss those in a little bit. Um, but if you were to take out the monsters entirely, this would feel a little bit like um, a walking simulator, <laughs> uh, but not quite that. The closest thing I could connect it to, actually, it uh, were it not for the. Uh, the hiding from or sneaking past or occasionally fighting with monsters. Um, this would remind me a lot more of something like everybody's gone to the rapture uh, than um, than other. You know, it, it's really it's really in that in that zone where it's like you are uh, 
you are journeying through a space and it's telling you a story. It occasionally takes the time to do things like playable flashback, not exactly cutscenes. There, there's like you know playable flashback scenes, as well as sometimes taking the time to like immerse you in something really surreal. Um, but uh, it, it's mostly a journey up a mountain. Um, and you're passing through the entire town of Mundan on the way up to the peak. Um, and so it, it's, it's, it's a lot like, uh, it is, yeah, first person adventure game is probably the sort of best broad strokes, uh, description for what this is doing, but sprinkled into that are a bunch of, uh, monsters of varying degrees of scariness. So we'll talk about those in a little bit. Um, but yeah, uh, Sorry, Shane. I didn't mean to, to to derail your point, but yeah, it's it's this one in particular is definitely playing in that um in that like even when this game does give you a weapon, it makes the weapon so hilariously ineffectual that it's it's you know this is mostly a game about experiencing a story while avoiding monsters. Let's set up the story of the game because really that is what makes a horror game is is the story, and especially one that's kind of like this in the mold of adventure games. You start off. Um, you're playing. I forget the name of the of the the main character. Uh, Kurdin. Yeah. Okay. He's informed that his grandfather has died, and he gets a letter from the priest um, that his grandfather is not only dead but dead in a barn fire. Mm-hmm. Um, and the letter is a little bit non-specific, and it basically tells you. Um, hey, uh, don't bother coming. We've already buried your grandfather. Uh, there's no need to come for a funeral. And, you know, the the main character expresses some skepticism about this. And when you ride up the, you know, the bus that takes you all the way up high into the mountains to Mundan, it becomes pretty quick, quickly clear that that letter was full of lies. In fact, the first thing that I did was to go explore the barn and then find the corpse of the grandfather in what I thought was a really actually genuinely spooky scene. So um, they have not, not only have they not buried the grandfather, he is dead in a barn fire. That much was true. They've not moved the body from the barn. It is still sitting there mm-hmm. face to face. You run into this corpse. And from there, you you just start kind of exploring the town. Yeah, and... You know, obviously, I'm not going to spoil any of the of the important details of the story here. We can do a little spoiler break at the end if you want, Shane. But the the overall story is about figuring out what actually happened here, um, and it's a story that goes back generations to you know when your grandfather was a young man. Um, there's a sort of a, a mysterious figure that is at the center of all of this that you encounter pretty early. The, the other thing that I was actually reminded of a lot as I was playing this was the Half-Life games. Um, because, I mean, the first, literally the first thing that, that, that I thought of when I was riding the bus into town was like, oh, hey, I'm on the monorail. It's Half-Life. Um, but it it, yeah. it, uh, it has, and in, and in a lot of ways, this also reminded me of like, what was that? What was that Half Life Two uh, thing where you're like the Lost Coastline or whatever, where you're where you're like on a uh, you're, you know you have your your truck and you're like exploring a whole like chunk of the of the coast, uh, sort of a journey. And th- this feels a lot like that in ways too, where it's telling you a story as you're doing like first person progression through a space. And and you do get you do get vehicles in this. Um, it, how you explore the area is a big part of this, and, and we'll we'll get to that in a sec. But yeah, the, the overall story is mostly just about trying to figure out what it is that led up to this very mysterious death of your grandfather. And if the fact that you, his corpse is still lying there in the barn isn't mysterious enough, you know, you you very quickly um, see like the the barn fire was painted. There was a painter standing near the barn as it burned, painting a picture of the barn burning down. You know, that's pretty weird. And there's other, like, weird things that creep into it. The game gets to a point where it gets quite surreal, but, like, never really leaves its main story, which is, like, always moving forward up to the peak of the mountain. Um, You know, at the center of this mountain is a dark, a darkness. You know, I'm not spoiling things here, but, like, there's something, there's something, um, 
sort of otherworldly or evil or or at least really unsettling living there and um and you are kind of confronting the the like dark history of the town in in the same way that you're trying to investigate your dad or your grandfather's death um you do that by exploring the town and that's really what i think is the standout cool thing about this game like it starts off with a pretty small area just the small area you know you, you ride up on the bus and it just opens this tiny little area to you that includes your grandfather's um you know burned down barn his house uh, a small chapel and i think you know one or two other things like a little graveyard that sort of thing you meet a couple of sort of off characters like the the priest there um uh, but it very soon begins to open up additional areas to you. Um, you you get access to your grandfather's Mouvelle. The Mouvelle is, I think, the the real star of this game in a way. You it's his uh, his um, uh, sort of a truck shaped uh, hay loader. It's like a it's like a truck that you can drive around that has like a a big hay baler in the back where you can drive over hay and it like auto bales it for you. Um, and that becomes your main mode of transportation through the rest of the game is driving this hay baler around. Um, and uh, fortunately, it's really fun to drive the hay baler. Uh, and uh, you can that opens up a lot of the game for you. Now you can drive up the mountain and it opens up a larger area that includes um, some farmland and a bunch of other you know buildings. And you know there's every building has little things to explore. Um, the game really consistently keeps, exploration fun and interesting by uh giving you a lot of little things to find even you know even if you're not finding like plot relevant stuff uh, as you're exploring all of these buildings on the way up the mountain um you're finding little stuff like boxes of coffee boxes of matches um and other little things like that and the game has it's not exactly an RPG, but it has stats for you. So you have a stat for your um, your you know physical health. You have a stat for your courage and a stat for your marksmanship. Uh, and each of those, you can find things in the world that help you level them up. Marksmanship is easy; you just pick up pages out of a like a gun manual. But things like courage, you have to make coffee to refill your or to increase your courage, and that involves finding coffee, finding matches finding wood, finding water, putting it into a pot, putting the pot on the stove, lighting the fire, brewing the coffee, drinking the coffee. This is multi-step process. And what that means is that every time you are exploring any space, even if you're just, you know, looking in a, a basement, oh, I found some matches. Matches are the best thing to find in this game because you are, not only can you use them to make coffee, but you can use them to uh, light fires and uh, here's spoiler for the the first enemy that you will encounter in the game. Uh, lighting fires is extremely useful when the very first enemy and most most common enemy you encounter in this game are walking haystacks. Uh, they are not yeah. scary. They're kind of ridiculous, but um, but here, here here's the thing about the combat in this game. Um, it, it the game starts off. There's there's nothing around that that's there to scare you, right? But as you progress up the mountain into larger and larger areas, and the game starts opening up, um, you uh, you start finding that the spaces that you've already explored are suddenly inhabited by these walking haystack monsters. They look sort of as if they you'd taken a desiccated corpse and bailed it in hay until you had a massive. Um, sort of pointy-topped haystack with arms and legs. They look kind of like a wicker man, right? They yeah, look, yeah. Kind of the illusion you're going for, right? Yeah, they very much do. Yeah, and I mean, you know, hay is a huge part of this game. You know, you're driving a hay baler. Um, you know, the uh, there's hay in piles and stacks everywhere, which can make it harder to spot the uh, the hay monsters. The pitchfork is your main weapon. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The um, in, you know, you don't get it. there is a gun in this game, but you don't get it until like literally the last like. I don't know, hour of what for me was about an eight hour game. Um, and so the, the pitchfork is your main weapon. You can stab these hay monsters. It takes three stabs to kill one of these hay monsters. And you only really get about three stabs with these pitchforks before they break. So um, you really don't want to confront these things. And they have a ranged attack, whereas you mostly don't until the end of the game. 
Um, so most of what you're doing is sneaking around these things, although you can get really creative by lighting hay on the ground on fire to light, you know, to have it have that fire spread and light these hay monsters on fire. So all things considered, I think the the encounter design with the hay, the hay monsters was pretty good, if a little bit frustrating at times. But the hay monsters were not scary to me. Um, just something about their design, I found them really kind of laughable uh, right from the get go. Like the first time I saw one of these some things moving around, I wasn't expecting it. You know, I I, I didn't know that was what the the sort of main scary monster of this game was you know and man these things ain't it right like they're they're just so silly um i kind of want to talk about this for a second because i i feel like this is a common there's a well there's similar issues that are really common as ways that horror games get derailed for me and i kind of just want to ask the question should horror games have combat and the answer is for most of them, they do. If I look at Resident Evil uh, 8, which I'm playing right now, that definitely has combat. In fact, it has a great deal of combat. But a lot of the games in the Resident Evil series, like my, I guess my favorite is Resident Evil 4. Um, and 4 was really popular because it leaned very heavily into the combat. But if you've played that game, you know that about halfway through it, you go under you 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 spend the first half of the game like really afraid uh, because the combat is stressful and you're you know scrounging for every bullet and then you go underground and fight some more monsters and then you come up with a rocket launcher and then just like you know wipe them wipe the monsters off the map for the rest of the game and, and so to me I, I think it kind of um, I don't think you need it like to me the mo- the most effective horror is the horror that like is more story-based or psychological, right? And a lot of these games give you combat as a way to just, well, it's like, here it is, dude, this is a video game, you know, enjoy your guns. Well, right? I don't know, man. What that's, do you think? I, I think that's really like, it's really selling short a lot of the horror genre. Like, yes, a lot of them have combat, but like, and, and first of all, like I agree that combat free horror can be more effective. One of my favorite horror games of all time is Soma, uh, which, if you haven't played it, I've been trying to convince these losers to play it for the show for literally four years. Um, and Soma is a survival horror game that takes place in a series of sort of underwater labs. Um, there's these very horrifying creatures in it. They're just sort of effective in, you know, as, as like scary monsters. Um, and, you know, lot. but it, the the main interaction you have with them is running away. There is no, there is no like weapon. There, you know, there are some things you can do uh, occasionally uh, to them, but very, very little. Mostly your only recourse is to sneak or run away from them. Um, and that game worked really, really well. But like there's other horror games. Like I know a lot of people love this game. I, I didn't quite um, like uh, what's it called? The um, Alien uh, Isolation uh, where, you know, you can't really fight the aliens. You really only have to run away from them. And that game, it felt a little too disempowering. You know, like, like I had spent too much time having to sort of like wait in a closet for what felt like hours until the alien moved on um, because I didn't have any other option. There was no way for me to, you know, to attack it. This game um, it strikes a little bit of a balance. You know, you have a, a pitchfork, but f- really all it does is knock the um, uh, the haystack monsters down. Uh, unless you want to just like stand there stabbing them, you know, three or four times. And, and if you, if you're, you know, if you're contending with more than one of these haystack monsters, that's not going to work. Um, <clears throat> you're basically sacrificing your weapon if you decide to actually kill one. But what it does do is like, if you're, let's say in a hallway and there's one of these things coming towards you, um, there's a way to push it out of the way. Uh, and that's basically what combat is in this game is like a way to like, open up some space to get past these monsters. Um, I ended up having my my issue with the quote quote unquote combat in this game is mostly with its, and I'm I'm sure maybe this was just, you know, maybe, maybe this was me. Um, I, it has a, a fear system, uh, you know, your, your bravery or courage meter or whatever, uh, that basically just affects like when you're confronted with these scary monsters, um, you kind of get rooted to the spot. You know, it, 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 your your legs slow down. You can't walk as fast. Um, 
under, you know, if you're, if there's a lot of them around or you're very scared, uh, you know, it plays a, plays scary sounds and eventually you just stop being able to move. Um, which I found really frustrating actually. Like eventually I built up my courage a little bit enough that like I could, you know, I didn't have to run the opposite direction. Every time I saw one of these things, I had enough courage to sneak past them with, without like my feet going numb and being rooted to the spot. But I ended up like, I, I honestly, I ended up about halfway through this game, finding some places where I got really frustrated and turning the combat down to easy, which honestly I recommend doing on this, on this one. I don't think there's any benefit really. Like it's not like there's amazing combat design here. Um, I kind of opted out of it for the most part. And I was kind of glad that I did by about halfway through because this whole idea of like, you know, you're. Uh, scary situations root you to the spot just means that like, oh, if I'm trying to run away, like maybe I'm even like past the things. They're in my rear view, but I'm just like creeping past them and getting pelted with hay, uh, which after about a minute or two will kill me. And and after like in you know enough deaths of this kind where I was just sort of like uh-huh. felt like I was walking through molasses, I just turned it down to easy. I think I think it we you know it does have to be a balance right there has to be a balance to the combat and I think in a lot of ways having um having some way to defend yourself makes the scary monsters more effective right if you can't defend yourself and the thing shows up and kills you and you get the you are dead screen and it takes you back to the last save point every time that eventually becomes a lot less scary than knowing that every encounter is going to cost you something, you know, it cost you some health, cost you some, you know, cost you your pitchfork and that you might, your precious that you might ammunition. Then, yeah, your precious ammo and that you might then have to continue after that. And it makes you feel um, kind of more hunted and more disempowered. So I, I think there is obviously a place for it. Um, but that place is defending yourself and not so much going on the attack. But most mm-hmm. of these games have some point where it makes that shift where, you know, you've been disempowered and on the defense for the whole game. And then, uh, and then it's time for you to turn the tables on the monster. I think that's, that's a very specifically a, a, like a resident evil disease, Shane. Like I, I agree that there's other games that do that because resident evil has been very um, successful, but like that, man, like I played, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I think you also played um, resident evil seven. I haven't played eight. I know you're playing it mm-hmm. right now, but like seven, it it's so stark in that where like you spend the first half of that game without any way to fight back and it's just like wet your pants scary like there's you know you're crawling oh, through sewers full of dead bodies and only emerging to be uh harassed by a family of terrifying texas chainsaw massacre hillbillies yeah th- this game that game by the way played in vr oh, that man. game is too scary it's mm-hmm. literally too scary for me to fit to for me to play i couldn't you know, i, I couldn't play that from... game without asking jamie to sit in the room with me for the first half after you get past that first half the game suddenly sh- shifts gears and becomes a traditional resident evil game where you've got you know uh funny looking keys to put in funny looking keyholes and uh you know you've got uh three guns with four types of ammo and lots and lots of green herbs to eat to heal yourself and and it becomes very video gamey and uh but that first half or so of the game was just absolutely wet your pants mm-hmm. scary and that in some ways like made me appreciate the second half i was like oh oh it's a video game after all but like it is definitely a weird tonal shift there there's also when we talk about tone in horror um Horror has all these myriad little teeny tiny subgenres to it, and horror games are the same thing. And, and again, we're talking about horror games as if they're this genre monopole, and they are not. Like, they are so many different little mini genres, and I was talking about the different kinds being, like, different ways you play them, like adventure game style, shooter style, whatever. There's also, just coming out of the the world of horror literature and film there's all these mini genres as well and there's this whole genre of folk horror that this is a part of but that's also really having a moment so some examples of folk horror 
that, you know, I think it's, when I say it's been having a moment, I I, I kind of am thinking back to the movie Midsummer and uh, The Witch, and there's other examples as well. This is some, one of the first times where I really feel like that's landing in video games. Yeah, I think the the one example I can think of otherwise uh, is a game that we covered many years ago on this show and I think is is really an amazing game called Yearwalk. Um, Yearwalk is a Scandinavian game uh, about a, uh, uh, like a, a full, I think these both have, you know, researched some like folk beliefs of a, you know, specific, um, very, very like small regional uh, culture and then are kind of taking those scary stories, uh, scary folk tales, and bringing them to life. Uh, Yearwalk was about uh, a, a folk practice of trying to tell the future um, by uh, walking around a church in a you know spooky churchyard at midnight on the new year. Um, by the way, really play Yearwalk. Um, I, I actually just went in to, to check to see if it was still playable. I'm pretty sure you can still get it on iOS. I checked the, the Steam version. It's still uh, still up and, and, and works. Um, uh, I would 100% recommend uh, playing Yearwalk. It's a, and, you know, go back and listen to our episode on it. But that, that game was stunning. And, uh, and I was reminded of it many times here because here it's, it's taking these like things that I don't know, uh, you know, I, I don't. I, I didn't do the research to know like what of this game is like specifically a uh, Swiss Alps, uh, you know, folk belief. But there's all sorts of little stuff in it that's that's very strange and has the feeling of like, wow, that's a really interesting like um, element of this like local culture that's also really creepy. For example, there's a there's a, a thing that you encounter when you go to sleep in your grandfather's house where. Up on the wall next to the bed, there's this board, this sort of broad wooden board with a hole in it, and maybe a dozen or more large metal spikes sticking out of it. And uh, when you examine it, uh, the the narrator says, a wurgsh, I'm going to probably mispronounce this, apologies, I didn't look up this pronunciation in advance, a wurgsh heckle, a wurg heckle. Grandpa used to put it on his chest before he went to sleep. And when you go to sleep in your grandpa's house, you take this horribly spiked board with a hole in it down off of the wall and place it on your chest with the spikes facing up. Um, And it says that, you know, he put this on his chest uh, to stop spirits from assaulting him while he was asleep. I forget exactly how it phrased it, but like this idea that you'd keep this spiky board next to your bed and put it on your body before you go to sleep so that if something tried to get you in the night, it would get spiked. You know, that's like a really cool little detail. And this game is full of little details like that. There's a lot of stuff in there that I'm also like not sure is rooted in reality um a big part of this backstory of this town is that it was the the site of a uh, a battle uh it, that's s- uh, sort of an unspecified war between the the locals of this area and somebody else and i'm pretty sure all the details of that are are fictitious um i did a little bit of looking and you know looked up mundan on wikipedia for example which is a real place in switzerland um, um i didn't find any details about any wars being fought there. Um, I'm not exactly sure when this is meant to be taking place. The flag that they're all flying doesn't seem to be real. It's uh, so, you know, I don't actually know like who was fighting who in the battle that's supposed to have taken place here. I think that part is fictitious, but like it's clearly mixing fact and fiction. You know, it, it, it they went to the, you know, the, the, the length of, you know, writing all the dialogue and voicing all the dialogue in this incredibly regional language, which is, you know, it shows real commitment to engaging with a, a sort of a, a micro culture here. Um, so I don't, I don't know what is and is not real. And part of that is the cool part, right? Like you don't, you, you know, there's spooky stuff here. Um, spooky stories that feel like they could be ripped from the local folktales uh, of an interesting culture. And some of them are probably real and some of them are probably not. Um, but I think that's really a that's really a cool thing about this style of horror is it like it feels 
it, it really feels real. It feels like something where like, ooh, you know, if I if I took the wrong turn on vacation in the Swiss Alps, I could run into one of these creatures, you know? Yeah, that is absolutely not the vibe in Resident Evil 8, uh, <laughs> which I am going to talk about for a few minutes. Uh, Resident Evil 8 is very uh, – so I was kind of surprised by the, the, the overall kind of theme uh, of Resident Evil 8 so far because 7 was based around this really like closed-in space and – uh, it kind of broke with a lot of the traditions of the of the series that had kind of really started to rely on uh, kind of certain tropes. Like Resident Evil Four took this game that was like you know you're on tank controls and you're you know just on the run the whole time, and it gave you something that was more shooter like, right? And then s- that that was a, a big shift. And then Resident Evil uh, Seven was another time where they like started to kind of fall into a pattern. They were like, well, what what if we did something totally different? We made it just a uh you know escape room full of um you know freaks trying to claw cl- claw at you through the walls right and and now with 8 you know it it expands out to the size you know, the concept is the village right and it has superficially a lot superficially a lot in common with this game like it <laughs> it is a game where you're exploring a kind of a european uh, you know, an isolated European village, right? Um, but the the vibe is very uh, fairy tale inspired. Like it's it's actually sets the tone early by by having your 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 player character, who's the same one from Seven, by the way, um, come out and uh, you know he's reading a fairy tale book to his daughter. Uh, they have moved. Uh, nearly inexplicably to the middle of nowhere in Europe uh, to this uh, horrible little town um, that is uh, kind of thereafter immediately overwhelmed by these monsters. Anyway, it's, you know, has been under the reign of these creatures forever, but the, the, the whole vibe is kind of high drama, high camp uh, kind of fairy tale inspired. So there's, it's a very different end of kind of that same folk horror, vibe i'm i'm not that far into it i'm i'm still probably i'm definitely still in the first third of the game um but uh yeah it's pretty different it's also very different from resident evil 7 which you know it's 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 weird but i do love to be surprised in a horror game i do love a good uh a a good surprise uh yeah, I'm I'm really looking forward to giving that one a shot. Um I'm kind of waiting for it to to take a dive in price because with these kinds of games uh you know big horror games um I tend to just sort of play them when I want something scary, you know, and I'm not like uh dying to get my hands on it at the moment. Um but yeah, I'm looking forward to checking it out. Seems really fun. Um they certainly uh have you encountered the the lady that everyone's horny for yet? Oh, absolutely. And um, while I don't share that particular predilection, I do find her to be a great video game character. Uh, it, this is a this is you, you're in a um, mansion. You kind of her mansion is a really unique and interesting sp- space to explore. Um, you have a lot of uh, it, it's a it's a really big cool very highly detailed space by the way we're now t- fully out of talking about mundan i'll go ahead and just do our outro now so we can continue talking yeah. about resident evil 8 um mundan is available on uh all of the platforms it came out already earlier in the year on pc on playstation 4 on uh let's see the xbox one and s uh i don't know for sure if it's on five um, I, I think it would be nice if you have the option to play this on the highest resolution display that you have, you know, sit close to put on your 4k TV because there's a lot of nice detail uh, to be observed in, oh, yeah. the, in the textures. Um, I played it on PC and uh, surprisingly, it really ran my graphics card. It really heated up my graphics card. I think maybe just because of the high resolution textures or something, but, um, but uh, it's uh you know, it's definitely a game to play on something where you can push the pixels if you can, even though the the polygons are pretty uh, 
pretty basic. The textures, I think, are, are really, uh, really interesting to look at. Um, but of course, also it's on a Nintendo Switch now. So if that's your best way to play it, uh, go for it. I think it's going to be perfectly fine there. Uh, and it is uh, $19.99 on, uh, on Steam. And I think it's also on the Epic Game Store. If the Epic uh, sale, the big sale with the coupons and everything is still going on uh, as you hear this, uh, this was part of that sale as well. So uh, you can uh, pick it up if it's still available. I don't know when that ends or when you're listening to this. It's a mystery. Uh, but yeah, I would definitely recommend checking out Mundon. I really, I really did enjoy it once I decided to kind of give up on the combat and sort of push my way past all the haystacks and explore the story. Um, so I would recommend folks check it out. Uh, Shane, <laughs> let's yeah. get back to talking. Uh, do you have any more to report about uh, Resident Evil 8? Sure. Um, yeah, so I, I'm definitely enjoying it. I, I'm still going to continue to play it. I, I think maybe I should just, uh, this is my podcast. I can I can make this a, a recurring segment where I don't play the game that we are ostensibly supposed to be covering and instead uh, play the hot new Capcom title that everyone's talking about. <laughs> yeah. How, how did you do with, uh, with monster Hunter? You still playing that one? I am still playing monster Hunter. Uh, monster Hunter is great. I'm not like that, that good at monster Hunter. I, but I really enjoy it. It's a really fun uh, game to be uh, getting back into. Um, I, I love monster Hunter because I have a lot of friends who enjoy it and it's a really great social game and and you know it's if it if it scratches that itch for you that's great there's basically a bottomless to me a bottomless well of monsters uh to someone who's more dedicated like I think if I if I were playing it more or less nonstop there would be uh there would be a point where I would run out of the monsters but functionally to me there is unlimited monsters (laughs) because there's more monsters than I have time for and so it is fun to kind of get into those kinds of games where, um, you know, it's tactically interesting. It's, uh, you know, there's a there's a grind that's satisfying. You know, there's more to learn about it and about the franchise and about the overall, you know, the whole deal than meets the eye at first. And they've made this one so incredibly accessible that it's it feels like one of those games that's like, uh, you know, few like uh, one gameplay session, a few of a, a few minutes to learn, and then like a lifetime uh, to master and to 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 top all the to beat all the zombies and uh, zo- not zombies, monsters. They're not zombies. They're actually dragons. <laughs> I'm mixing my Capcoms. Resident Evil Eight, though, that one's got the zombies. You know, surprisingly, not super zombified compared to the past Resident Evil games. In fact, the first scene where you really are cut loose in the village and by the way guys spoiler alerts i'm gonna talk about all the parts of this game that i've played so far which is about the first third the old resident evil games were really uh zombie heavy and you know dogs jumping through windows and stuff like that this game is like i said it's kind of folklore or fairy tale inspired the same character who was in resident evil 7 uh, Ethan Winters and his wife, who you saved in the first game. There's a little recap. Um, they have had a baby and moved on, uh, but inexplicably, they have decided never to speak of the horrors that they saw um, when he saved her her from a house full of freaks. So now they've moved to um, <clears throat> Eastern Europe, you know, <laughs> in un- unknown place, and then out of nowhere. One of the Resident Evil characters that I can't keep track of, uh, Chris Redfield, shows up and just like guns down your wife in your own home. That was a true moment of actually the first moment of horror that I had in the game was the fact that you take your baby and you put your baby in a crib and the crib is full of those like thick uh, padded crib bumpers that like as I was picking my child up from the hospital, there was like they were like, don't use these. They kill babies. <laughs> uh, so I I was like, okay. But, it's very um, funny how, like, I, I I saw that exact reaction from all of, like, uh, parent Twitter. Every parent that played this game. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, no, don't put your child in that death trap. <laughs> and apparently that was not the point. I wonder if the uh, the developers uh, just were like, uh, like, went on Google image search and was like, scary crib. <laughs> it was like, oh, we'll put these things on. Maybe. But anyway, 
um, it pretty quickly turns to just sort of a your typical survival horror um, in a pretty large, fairly open kind of village environment. I mean, that's the whole concept of the game. It's the village. And you're being attacked by these huge, uh, strong, fast kind of werewolves. I mean, they're they're they seem to be werewolves. They're basically werewolves. I think they're referred to as as lichens. Uh, they're not like hairy as werewolf. They just look like really big, scary guys that run at you and try and bite you. The things that I'm loving in this game, the villains so far are just top notch, and there's a lot of them. And then the, the other thing I'm just loving is just how over the top and like graphic the like injuries to the main character get. And this I really have to spoiler alert on this. There is a moment that I just fucking lost it. Once you reach the castle of the Lady Dimitrescu, right? You're you're sneaking around, you're running. A lot of this game, like, you know, the, as is the kind of tradition for Resident Evil games, you are finding chem fluid and herbs and you put them together and you make the healing potion and you pour it on yourself when you're hurt, right? And that's basically how these always these games always work is you're you're doing a lot of crafting because that's survival horror for you. Um, over and over again, Ethan Carter is absolutely just gets his hands absolutely wrecked because it's like a first person game. And so one of the one of the best ways that they can like show you being injured in first person is to hurt you by injuring your hands. And so just in the first like third of the game. Like, I was like, there's no way he can still hold a gun. He was just, they put hooks through his hands and hung him from them. And then he, like, tore his hands open to free himself from the hooks. There's no way he could use those hands ever again. Um, (laughs) But then it just continued to ramp that up. And there's a point in this game where your first big encounter with Lady Dimitrescu, she grows these gigantic claws and she's chasing you around this basement. And... You're trying to escape the basement and you grab uh, one of the handles that you've been using to open the doors and she gets to you and she uses these freakishly long claws to cut your hand completely off. And then you're like, ah, ah, and and Ethan just runs away, leaving the hand and you have to double back (laughs) and pick up the hand. And then it goes as an item into your inventory. And I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> and then you, when you finally evade her, um, you're in like an elevator on your way up. He puts the hand, which, by the way, has a sleeve attached. It's more like a forearm. He puts it back on, pulls out a, a, a jar of this chem fluid, and just pours it over his, like, <laughs> severed wrist. Like, flexes his fingers and is like, ah. I'm okay. <laughs> and that was the moment where I realized, oh, um, th- this is completely self-conscious camp. Like, Seven was not this. Seven was, like, hardcore fear. Well, okay, it, it wasn't at first, but, like, the thing about Seven was, like, it starts with the, like, hardcore, really, really deep scare stuff but then it throws the camp at you it's just it's camp was like now you're in the room with the dog-shaped key that opens the dog-shaped door like that kind of thing and like that is its own kind of camp um it's like Mm -hmm. it's self-consciously video gamey um and uh like you could tell that it was like the developers were like saying i see you resident evil fan and you are welcome here because here are the, all of the things you remember from prior Resident Evil games. Um, but like, yeah, yes. the, the the like and all of that is present in this one as well. Is, yeah, is a it's it's that's that's a different kind of camp. I loved it because when when his hand was severed, I I lost it. I screamed like that. That was great. And uh, but I was thinking like, what are we gonna do with the rest? I use that hand for everything in this game. This is a game that is primarily a shooter. Like there's there's more gunplay. Once you get equipped, there's more gunplay in this game uh, than in any Resident Evil game that I've played in a long while. I, I've skipped a lot of them, um, but it, it's definitely more than I was used to. Seven was the one that really brought me back to the series, and that was kind of toned down. So so it was kind of interesting to kind of kind of ramp back up into this. 
and um, I was like, "What?" And then he reattached it, and I was I I just lost it for a second time. I just I was, so that's that's the kind of horror game this is. I'm I'm absolutely loving it. I'm gonna keep playing it. What I will say for it is all of the elements of it the the survival pieces, the horror is effective. Uh, the campiness is is fun. The characters are great, and the gameplay itself really good, really satisfying. I, I know you were complaining about Mundown um, having um, kind of sketchy combat. This this game it keeps you on the run. It keeps you keeps you running. Uh, but even during that, like the gunplay is fun. Uh, part of that is part of that is just you know good effective guns, and part of that is really cool enemy design. Like the enemies move in ways where they're pretty effective at dodging and, and keeping, you know, tricky to shoot, right? They're they're moving in really unnatural, herky-jerky ways. You know, some of them seem to be pretty immune to bullets, uh, but not in a hit spot, in, in like a big bag of HP kind of way. You're not just unloading into them. You, you have to really keep your keep your distance and keep yourself moving. And, and that means uh, lots of shooting while walking backwards, uh, which, which means, you know, the level design becomes really important. Uh, so yeah, I think I'm having a great time with it. Uh, I am going to continue to play it. Can't wait to find out what happens <laughs> to, to Ethan and, and what if he gets his baby back. I don't know. There's obviously something weird going on. I mean, I guess that's the understatement of the year. <laughs> Um, <laughs> Sounds like a lot of fun. I'm looking forward to talking. I'm, I'm having a great time, time with it. Uh, so, uh, do we have some what's making us happy this week before we wrap it on up? Uh, I, I think my coverage of Resident Evil 8 is kind of an extended what's making us happy this week. All right, I'll count it. Listeners, thank you for joining us on this episode of The Short Game. You can find us on the internet at www.theshortgame.net where you'll find our contact form, you'll find a link to our Patreon. Uh, The Patreon also will give you a link to our Discord, uh, which is where we talk about the show and plan the show. So every one of our Patreon subscribers at even just a dollar a month gets instant access to Discord where you can chat with us about the games you're playing. We'll chat about the games that are coming up on the show if you want previews. Uh, and uh, just a general good place to hang out on the internet. Yep. Um, you can also find the show on Twitter at underscore short game, or you can find me on Twitter at Reagan K. That's R-A-Y-G-A-N-K. And Shane, where can people find you? Also on Twitter at 8BitShane. And once again, thank you so much for joining us on this episode of The Short Game.